Welcome to Encompass Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us today. To share your story of what God has been doing in you and through you, take a moment to email us at amen at encompass.org.au. Enjoy today's message. Um, so to this week, uh, today, or this week and next week, we're going to uh, be talking again about the theme of 2024, which is... Yeah, this is holy ground. And so today I want to take a, a, a little bit of a different angle on this uh, theme. And Jace uh, tried to preempt this a few weeks ago, gave you a little clue of what I'm going to be sharing on, because it's not the kind of topic that is easy to hear. Um, how many of you know the Word of God doesn't promise to make us always feel comfortable? Yeah, but it brings freedom. So we are a Bible-preaching church. We're going to preach the Word of God. But let me tell you something that was not easy for me to hear several years ago. When Jason and I were dating, I remember a conversation that happened, a conversation that I've clearly not forgotten. (laughs) We were leaving a restaurant, and I could just tell that he was a little bit off with me, and I didn't know why. Like, nothing had been said And so eventually after probing him, I'm very good at probing, uh, he sort of comes out with it and says, Alyssa, I don't really feel like you're really all in on this relationship. So he's wondering, he's wondering, does she really like me? And I get my back up a little bit and I'm going, hey, wait a sec. Just because I'm not the most, you know, overly expressive person, just because I'm not like you and I wear my heart on my sleeve, just because I don't gush, doesn't mean that I don't like you. And he hits me with something, a line at this time, something that I've never forgotten. And he says, well, but you are expressive when it comes to food. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder if you love food more than you love me. (laughs) Now, he wasn't having a crack. He was being serious. And so he goes on and he says, you know, you constantly talk about food. You get excited about food. He goes, food makes you happy. You look forward to eating food when we're together. But I wonder if you feel that way about me. Whoa. (laughs) Now, I'm pretty sure I got offended. Who would have got offended at that? Yeah, like, we weren't even married yet, come on. Um, And so I tried to argue my way out of it. But over time, over time, I slowly began to realize that he was right. That food had a place in my life that it shouldn't have. That I was turning it to it for comfort. That food had become an idol, something that I used to reward myself, something that I used to make me feel happy. And as a result of that, I was unhealthy. It was unhealthy. I was unhealthy. I was medicating my stressful, busy lifestyle with food. I wasn't exercising. Um, I wasn't in a good place physically. I wasn't resting well. And, and I, was, I got to a point that I was really ashamed of my body. And when I, even after really realizing all of this, I got really ashamed that I couldn't stop eating. I couldn't stop eating. Have you ever felt that way before? I know, I know many of us 
have been stuck in that loop. And the thing is that anyone can find themselves enslaved to food, anyone, because metabolisms hide a lot. Not for me, but maybe for you. It, It can hide a lot. Anyone can be enslaved to food. So just before Christmas, um, I hear a podcast that is a a podcast for pastors, and the title of the podcast was The Sin That Most Pastors Don't Talk About. Intrigued me. So I listened to it while I was going for a walk, and it was talking about gluttony, this podcast, the sin of overindulging on food. And the reason it was saying that most pastors don't preach on it is because it's something that they themselves are struggling with. So this is a topic that that there is a lot of shame around, a topic that there is a lot of struggle around. You know, I um, heard a story from the evangelist Billy Graham. He tells a story of a woman who came up to him after one of his crusades. And she came up to him and she said, "Uh, Pastor, you know, I have sinned and it's haunting me day and night, day in and day out. I'm trying to resist it, but but I just can't get victory. And so he's leaning in like, what is it? And she surprised him by saying, I have committed, I'm committing the sin of gluttony. And And he's thinking to himself, this is the first time Anyone has come to an altar call and and confessed that sin. You see, overindulgence is so ingrained into our culture that most of us don't even consider it a sin. You know, we, we make light of it. We joke about how we stuffed ourselves until we felt sick. Yeah, like that's just how we talk. And, and so we point to the maybe the more serious sins, the more damaging sins, and, and, we, and we make light or, or we neglect the seriousness or, or the implications of, of making food an idol, or, of what happens when we overindulge. See, God our Father wants us to be free from every stronghold, including the stronghold of food. And so today, in the most sensitive and the most empowering way that I can, as someone who has had to battle this a lot over the last at least 10 years, I want to um, share on this topic and the broader topic of my body is holy ground. My body is holy ground. This is holy ground. So let's look at what the Bible says about gluttony and we'll also be talking about controlling other bodily appetites as well. Philippians 3 verse 19, Paul says, he says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He's saying that the lifestyle of a godless person, whether they are in church or whether they are in the world, it becomes evident because they are a slave to their appetites. That's what he's saying. They're a slave to their desires for sex, for food, and they live according to their belly, to their appetite. They indulge, they, they, they indulge the flesh. Proverbs 23, verse 1 to 3, it says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. 
and it's not being literal here, but it says, and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies for they are deceptive food. What is it saying? It's saying, do whatever it takes to curb your appetite because it's deceptive. You know those foods like the donuts, the fried food? It wants you to eat more than what you need. It wants you to keep going until we are indulging in it. And it says, and the ruler is quite possibly, he's testing you. He says, if you're going to stand before kings, you need to know how to control yourself. So he's looking at, he's going to test your character by looking at how you deal with food. And so how we eat, what we eat, how much we eat becomes ultimately a test of our character. In Galatians 5.23, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And so that tells us that, that, that the evidence that God's ruling spirit, his spirit is ruling within us, that, that, that the spirit, not the flesh, is ruling in this area, is that he starts to produce self-control and restraint into all these areas in our life. Now, in Proverbs 23, it goes down in verse 20 to 21, and it says, Do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. This teaching is saying that when our eating and drinking is out of control, that we will experience a drowsiness, a tiredness. Have you ever experienced that before? You eat fast food, you eat unhealthy, and then you don't feel good. And so ultimately, though, is what it's saying is that we will not be able to, if we have a lifestyle like this, we will not be able to work fully to our God-given potential. It's saying that our capacity is diminished and that we will not be as effective to serve God and his kingdom, that we will become poor we will, relative to what we could have been. So that's, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Now, 1 Corinthians, we're going to stick to this one for a little bit. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20. We're going to dive deeper here. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. Today, I want to use this passage. It can be a bit of a negative topic. Today, so today, I want to use this passage to give you four positive, affirming truths about the body. And it forms a little bit of a mini theology of the body. Paul then uses it to apply it specifically to sexual immorality, which is any sort of sexual activity outside of marriage. But we can use it for anything that is a bodily appetite, as you'll see. Okay, so let's have a look. Paul knows we can't just say stop doing that. What we have to do is change our mindset about the thing before we can change. So that's what Paul and what we're going to do together. So let's look at the theology of the body. Number one, your body is a holy place. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that? Do you know that your body is a holy place? Let's start, uh, let's read back at verse 12 in that same passage. This is what Paul was saying. He, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
You say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Now, there are two views that the Corinthians had about the body that Paul is is correcting and they are views that that are our culture as well. Number one, it's my body, my rights. Verse 12, it's my body, my rights. And number two, in verse 13, they had this phrase, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. God will destroy them both. That means that, our, that we need to, the body should have what it craves. Give the body what it wants because it's going to die anyway. Okay, that's, that's what it meant. And so the Corinthians do what we do. They were separating physical and spiritual And they were saying, my body is not holy. My body is just a shell. And one day it's going to end. It's going to be destroyed. So who cares what I do with it, right? Wrong. In verse 14, Paul says, the body is not destined for destruction. The body is destined for resurrection. Our body matters. And so they say, you know, it's my right, my body. But but Paul says, but your freedom... He says, where is it? You are free, but you are set free to live free. And you are not meant to become enslaved or mastered by anything. Not by sex, not by food, not by video games, not by anything. Nothing should enslave us. That's what freedom really means. So our body is a holy place. 3 John 1 verse 2 um, Dave, Pastor Dave Balestri used it last week. It says, Dear friend, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So as we grow spiritually, so too should our, our physical health also prosper. And so we can pretend that life is just, especially as Christians, if, if you're a Christian here, well, life is just all about the spiritual things. But then we would be ignoring that God made us flesh and blood, that he ordained for us to be in this body, and he calls it a temple of the Holy Spirit. All right, so that takes us to our next point. So your body is a holy place. The second one is your body has a holy person. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So when we come to faith and life in Christ, our body now becomes a home of the Holy Spirit. Okay, he becomes a home of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you and his desire is to live through you. Over the Christmas break, uh, we went away and we were at one, of the, one of the days we were at the shops and just waiting around. And randomly, my four-year-old daughter says, asks, says to me or asks me, hey, mummy, how does Jesus catch the food? It was so random. So she, she goes on, how does Jesus catch the food that we eat? I must have still looked confused because she went on and she's like, how does Jesus catch the food that we eat because he lives inside of us? Like, what does he like to eat? Does Jesus like when I eat my vegetables? I was speechless. I'm like, what do I say to this? But I did say, yes, Jesus loves his vegetables. 
But my daughter understands this, which is quite profound, that whatever we do to our body, we are doing to God. Whatever we do to our body, we are doing to God. So Paul says in verse 15 and 17, he says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Never. Would we do that? Never. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. We would say never, but if we don't see ourselves as a holy place with a holy purpose, then we might. Whatever we do to our body, we are doing to God. Your body is a home of the Holy Spirit. And so that means that his personalities, his thoughts, his desires, his holy desires are now trying to become infused with yours. And God's desire is to redeem and to sanctify not just your mind, not just your heart, but also your body, your whole being. It says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So he starts it now, and then in eternity it will be complete. So our body, our body is not a trash can. Yeah, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and this raises life and our health to a higher level. Because all of a sudden, what I do, how I do it, what I eat, what I drink, it now matters. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, uh, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we can ask this question, does my eating, does my drinking, does my lifestyle, Does the unseen parts of my life, does it all give glory to God? Paul knows and he's happy for people to be put off the gospel, but he's not okay with people being put off the gospel because of his conduct. He wants all of his being to show that God is in him. We want all of us, all of us to show that God is in us. My body has a holy person. I want people to see that in every part of my life. Number three, your body belongs to the Lord. Your body belongs to the Lord. Verse 19b to 20a, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. The great lie of sexual immorality and, and really any sin is that ultimately is the whole idea that we are our own. And if I am my own, that means that I get to decide. That I get to decide what I do, who I do it with, who I sleep with, what I eat. I get to decide all of that. And that is our culture, isn't it? It's mine. I get to do what I want with it. But if I am in Christ, I am not my own. Christ has purchased me for the uncomparably, incomprehensible great price of his son, Jesus. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 to 19, it says, For you know that God paid the ransom. He, he set us free. He paid the price to save you from, the, from your empty life. 
And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. So we were bought at a price. Therefore, we don't get to decide what we do with our body. We don't have those rights anymore in Christ. My sex life does not belong to me. It belongs to him. My social life does not belong to me. It belongs to him. What I eat, what I drink, the substances that I put into my body, I don't get to decide that. He gets to decide that. And so our lifestyle choices must reflect the truth of our salvation, that he has purchased us and he has purchased our freedom. I now belong to him. This is a foundational truth that is at the heart of being sexually pure and being holy, that I am not my own. My body belongs to God. Number four, last one, your body has a holy purpose. When I say last one, I mean it's the last one before I go to the next set of points. Just letting you know. (laughs) Just wanted to warn you. Uh, Verse 20, therefore, honour God with your body. Therefore, honour God. He's saying your body should be a billboard. Your body should, should point people back to God. You bear the name of God. So therefore, you should be pointing back in every, every area of your life. We want to we show his nature. We want to show his, his goodness in every part of our life that it points to him. And that's why we're called to holiness. That's why we sing holy. He is holy. Because he is holy and we are his children. We bear his image. We must be holy by his, by his grace. Be holy. Your feet, your hands, your lips your mouth, your eyes. Our whole life is for his pleasure and his purpose, not for us to indulge in our appetites. It is for his pleasure and his purpose. And when we live like that, we find our pleasure and our purpose because our spirit and God's spirit in us becomes aligned. And all of a sudden we get to become who we were always meant to to be. We're not living in conflict anymore. We're living for him alone. So how do we overcome it? How do we overcome gluttony, other other bodily appetites that feel so strong? How do we how do we resist the world's culture of indulgence and learn to walk in the spirit, to exercise self-control and restraint? So here are just some ideas. My next set of points. Number one, nourish your spirit. Feed your spirit in the word. Feed your spirit in the word. So we have to understand this, that we were born with a good and natural appetite for food. Okay, it's not all bad. But we were also born with an emptiness, a void that only God can fill. The problem happens when we use food and other things to fill that void. And so this good thing becomes an idol when we start to use that in the place of God. And it becomes then something, because it's not God and it's not a God thing, it then becomes something we are enslaved to. We can't become controlled by it. So think about it. All day, we're feeding off the news, we're feeding off our social media, we're feeding off other people, we're listening to the word through other people, podcasts, we're we're, we're feeding off uh, our phones, but we don't feed off the Word of God. 
So when we feel a little bit sad, we feel a little bit out of control, a little bit restless, a little bit triggered, we reach for something. What do you reach for? What do you feel a little, uh, what do you go to? Do you go to your phone? Someone? Do you go to the fridge? The pantry? That drink? That chocolate? The video game? Sex? Alcohol? Smokes? We indulge. We indulge. We, to fill that God void. And the thing is, is that many Christians are eating at worldly solutions, trying to self-care to wholeness, which really just means indulge, a bit more screen time, a bit more food. And we wonder why we're feeling so empty, why we're not able to get victory over the flesh. Jesus says these words in John 6, verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What you have to know is that bread was a part of every single course of the day in those times. They lived off bread. It wasn't just one time a day. It was the whole day. And so Jesus is saying, live off me. Feed off me. Many of us are going carb-free, not in our food diet, (laughs) in our word diet, in our word diet. And so that's why we're not able to gain victory over the flesh. We need to feed our spirit so that we can be led by the spirit. If you don't know how to get into the Word or you just need a bit of a reminder today, can I encourage you, spend 10, 15 minutes, start there. Choose a book of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, one of the New Testament, start there. And then something that I've gone back to is to go through it slowly and use the SOAP principle. It's where you write down these things and I'll show you how to do it. S, it's where you journal it and you you do it all down your page. S, choose a scripture or a passage that stands out to you. Now observe, oh, observe what's happening in that passage. Don't apply it to you yet, just what's happening? What do you see happening? What are the principles? What are you seeing happening there? Sometimes that takes a bit of time. You've got to sit, uh, what, is it? what does it mean? A, application. Now, once you've got a bit of a handle on it, then you apply it. Apply it to your situation. Apply it to your thinking. Ask the Holy Spirit. I'm like, push this as far deep into my being as possible, Holy Spirit, touch the, the places that are off limits. Touch the places that are in the dark. Ask questions of the Holy Spirit to help him make this real to you in your situation. Sometimes you've got to sit there for a bit. You know, I'm a pastor and sometimes I'm like, oh, how does that relate to me? And then all of a sudden, bang, something will come to me. P, now pray, prayer. Ask God now to, for the power and for his presence, that awareness that you will able, be able to depend on him throughout the day. Soap. It's just something that if you, someone mentioned it to me recently, I'm like, yeah, that's, I just need to get back to that. Simple, just simple in the word. We must feed our spirit with the word of God. For many of us, Satan will tempt us with food. He started with Adam and Eve in the garden and he is still doing it today. He's still doing it today. You know, we, we can think, oh, it's not that spiritual, but it is. It is spiritual. So instead of reaching for that thing, that thing that you, you reach for when you feel a bit sad, a bit restless, a bit bored, reach for
for the spirit who has his home in you. I tested this last year because I want to be spirit-led in every part of my life. I don't just want to have like a diet. I want to be spirit-led. And so, so what happened was around Easter last year, the grandparents um, gave us too much chocolate. Way more than a two or three-year-old could eat, right? Thanks a lot. We'll have to have a chat about that this year. <laughs> and so we have all this chocolate in the house. And then I was just off guard and I was eating all this chocolate and then I just couldn't stop. And so I said, Holy Spirit, every time I go to the pantry, I'm going to stop and I'm just going to listen. And I found that each time I didn't just like do it. So what I did is start putting things in high places so, so that I would have time to tune into the Holy Spirit. Yeah? It wasn't too easy to grab. And, and, and every time I realized the Holy Spirit's telling me the thing, now, Alyssa, you're just sad. Alyssa, you're just upset. Alyssa, you don't need that. I didn't need chocolate. I didn't need to indulge. I needed the Spirit. I needed God in that moment. And so we need to feed our spirit. And when we feed our spirit, His voice and His desires within us get stronger and clearer and louder. Amen? Amen. Number two, subdue. So we need to feed and now we need to starve. We need to subdue the, the, the flesh and the appetites within we have to starve these overindulgent desires. We need to learn to say no. Say no to large portions. Say no to second serves. Do we really need to eat second servings just to make the person who cooked happy because it's all gone, you know? Like, we need to say no to certain foods. You know, if you can't, say, if you can't stop it a little bit, maybe you need to say no to certain foods. This isn't a weight issue. This is a self, primarily a self-control issue for many of us. Um, so what do you need to say no to? What do you need to say no to? Talk about it with friends. Get accountability. Stop joking about it and take it seriously to say, I have a problem. I have a problem. Make a plan. Romans 13 verse 14. I love this scripture. I've used it before. Make no provision to indulge the flesh. Don't make plans to it. Don't make it easy for yourself to give into the flesh. And, and hey, don't be legalistic about any of this. This is not about you condemning. You. I've been there. I've been on that shame roller coaster and condemning yourself. This is about progress and a heart to please God, not about perfection. Because freedom is something that we grow in and we're going to keep growing in it till the day Christ returns. Yeah, so my journey has been a long one. It's been a long time and I've had two kids in between all that and it's not easy for me. It's, you know, my husband, he, he, he eats like he has, no, he's actually doing a lot better, but he used to eat a lot of junk food, doesn't put on a single gram. Me, I have like 20 or 10% of what he has and I put on a kilo the next day. That is how it is for me. It's not easy. Um, and so around 30 years old, about seven years ago, the scales were just going up and up and up. And I then also had a back injury as well, um, which I've shared about. And I was physically just not in a good place. I was in a lot of pain. I kept injuring myself. It was just not good. And so I realized something had to change because something in me was going, sorry, this light's coming on and on. Um, so it didn't make sense to me. It's like, how is it that I can be so consistent, so committed to God and yet I can't get in control of my eating. To me, it just didn't add up. You know, it wasn't consistent. 
And so for me, when I eventually got into that exercise rhythm, that became easy for me because it elevated my quality of life. All of a sudden, I could actually be mostly pain-free if I exercise, you know, five times a week. It works for me. But the eating was the thing. That was the stronghold. That was the thing. And so for a long time, I was just trying to do it on my own, trying to do it secretly with myself. And then eventually, I'm like, that's it. Jason, (laughs) my husband, I'm like, Jason, I need your help. I said, I need your help. I said, can you please, can we please for six weeks get rid of everything unhealthy in the house? Can we not go out? Can we just stay home and and commit to help me do this? He reluctantly agreed. (laughs) Now, it was nothing drastic. You know, I I didn't starve myself. I didn't treat my body badly. I just tried to use moderation and and to have that support from him. And I'll admit, it was very hard at first. My thoughts were saying, I hate my life now. You know, it was, it was, it was spiritual. I was like, you know, I, I, I had no joy. I was like, well, I've got nothing to look forward to anymore. It was very, I felt very sad giving up some of the, this lifestyle of just giving into whatever I wanted. It was really hard. But by the end of those six weeks, I noticed that my cravings had changed. I didn't crave those things anymore. Now, I still enjoy food. I wouldn't say, oh, I love food, but I enjoy food. But I don't crave it. I don't sit thinking about what I want to eat at the end of the day, you know. Um, I know when to stop. I know how to have a tiny bit. I know how to listen to the signals that tell me that, I, that I'm not full. The signals that just say, you're satisfied, you can stop now. I know how to, when I get off, fall off the wagon, I know how to not let it go too far and get back on track. You know, it's still an issue. It's still an area of caution. I think it always will be an area of caution for me. So I have to plan. I menu plan. I keep a clean pantry. I, I have to do those things. It says, make no provision for the flesh. Plan, plan to to starve it. Is it food for you? Is it something else? What do you need to do to plan for breakthrough? Don't just expect it to come in a moment of worship. That can happen, I'm sure. But but the Bible says don't plan, make no provision for the flesh. It's wisdom. What breakthrough do you want? Is it in sexual things? Is, Is it with alcohol? Is it in gaming? Is it, what is it for you? Fasting is another way that we can, that we can get that, that, break, that breakthrough in the stronghold. So that fasting is for a certain period of time, and it's another way to do that. Richard Foster, he's a man who writes this classic book on spiritual disciplines. I highly recommend it if you like to read, or even if you don't. Um, it says more, he says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. But in fasting, these things begin to surface. So when you fast, what happens is is that you learn to make your appetite your slave. Yeah? your, Your belly starts to growl at you at the same time every day. And instead of giving in to that appetite, you have to speak to your appetite. And you say, no, get down. (laughs) Get down. I'm not going to listen to you. And so there is such a power in that. You know, our human cravings are like these rivers that start to overflow. And fasting, it's like tells those rivers to go back into their proper channel. 
All right, so we need to pay attention. What are those things that I can't live without? What are those things that I, I feel I couldn't be happy without? Fast those things. Fast it for a period of time so that it doesn't have that power over you. Yeah, and you can rely on God's Spirit as you fast it. I remember a friend telling me once, she was so happy, and she told me, I'm finally free from the stronghold of Coca-Cola. And I was like, what? But it's spiritual. It's spiritual. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 27, Paul says, I strike a blow to my body. I subdue it. I discipline it. I tame it to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others that I myself will not be disqualified. What Paul is saying here is that that discipline in one area affects discipline in another area. And, and, and self-control is progressive. So if I defeat uh, the, you know, my appetite, then all of a sudden maybe with food, maybe that gives me the skills, it gives me the confidence to now uh, you know, resist the flesh with my sexual appetite, with my anger, with my words. Sometimes we'd like to compartmentalize and say, oh, well, you know, one, that doesn't really, they don't link. It, it, it links. Self-control is a character issue. Once you've, you, once you've got um, victory over one area, then you work on another area. And the, the skills that you produce help you to keep going to the rest. And so God wants the fruit of self-control to be in every area of our life so that we can be holy, so that we can be free, so that we can be effective for him. Can I invite the worship team to come up? Number three, very quickly, this one, is to keep your body strong and active. But 1 Timothy 4 verse 8, it says, For although exercise does have some value, godliness is valuable for everything since it holds promise both for now and eternity. Now, some people use this scripture to say, well, that means we don't need to exercise. But I don't think that's what Paul intended to do. He wasn't asking him to choose. He was saying we should do both. And we need to major in godliness because it's from our fellowship with God that every other area of our life can flourish. But like godliness, godliness is not automatic and neither is physical health. It is the intentional effort of a range of factors, including exercise. And, and it's really, exercise is really stewarding the body that God has given us, keeping our heart healthy, keeping our bones and our muscles healthy. And we have to work with what we've got. You know, I've got a back injury that I have to work with that. Maybe you've got things that you've got to work with, but all of us can do something. Maybe it's walking for you. My mum's a, my mom's a walker. Maybe you're, you're a person who wants to go to the gym. My dad goes to the gym. Maybe you're like me and you, all you've got time for is home workouts with an app. That's what I do. Maybe it's playing a sport. I don't know what it is for you. But we do this not to glorify our bodies or to obsess over our bodies. We do it to glorify God, to thank God for the body He's given us, that we would do It's on, yeah. Why do we do it? And 
this is actually really heavy on my heart. We do it because we don't want to drop out early on the calling that God has over our life. We want to finish to the end what God has placed on our life, that we would carry with the best of our ability, the best of our energy, the best of our strength, all that he has commissioned us to do. And I believe that God wants to see us strong, not only in spirit, not only in heart, but in body. Let me finish with this verse. Romans 12 verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Today, would you offer your body before the Lord? Would you stop and consider what does it mean for me today in my season in my situation, to offer my body as a holy and pleasing sacrifice before the Lord. We are called to honour God in our body. We are called to... We are called to resist the world's culture of overindulgence. And we are called to be led by the Spirit. We're not called to do it on our own. We're called to be led by the Spirit. So our prayer today is, God, make us holy like you are in our mind, in our body, in, in our spirit. Amen. With every eye closed, you know, maybe today we've been talking about our body belonging to God. But maybe you're here today and you know that your body, you've never offered your body, maybe you've never offered your heart, your life to God before. And so today I wanted to give an opportunity for those in the room that have never made that decision. You see, it's a decision. God doesn't take our body. He doesn't take our life. We offer it to Him because He is a good Father and He has saved us from an empty life. And today, if you are here and, and you wanna offer your life, Offer all that you are to Him. You can feel that stirring within your heart to place your life in His hands. If that's you today and you say, yes, that's me. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and as my Saviour. If that's you today, would you raise your hand just so I can pray with you today? If Yes, I see that hand. Any other hands? Anyone that says, that's me. Yep, I see that hand. Yep, yep. For the first time, this is first time decisions. I'm giving you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord. Yep, I see the hand at the back there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. We're going to say a prayer all together. And this is a prayer for you, for those that raise your hand to say, this is my first time. We're all going to pray it, but this is a prayer for you between you and God. Would you repeat this prayer after me? God, today I come to you a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. Thank you for taking my place on the cross, for paying the price of death for me. Today I turn from my sin and I choose to make you Lord. Thank you for making me part of your family and for putting your spirit in me. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we congratulate those that made that decision? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Encompass Church. If today's message has impacted you and you want to give your life to Jesus, if you need prayer or if you want to get connected to the church, please contact us at office at encompass.org.au. Never miss a moment by following us online. Search for Encompass Church on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.